they talk, but I run. How can that not fire you up, right? Good morning, everyone. Thanks for coming out on this beautiful fall Sunday. Thank you for our Cincy, Bainbridge, and online campuses joining us all by simulcast today. We're going to wrap up our Marriage in Light of Eternity series. We've looked for a few weeks on different components of marriage in light of eternity. We've looked at the goal of marriage, Jesus is our role model, parenting, and today we kind of wrap it up. It's not been too painful, has it? Okay, good. <laughs> I told you at the beginning, it's not meant to be a group therapy session. It's meant to really fix our eyes on the kind of the end game, the finish line. And that's what we talk about today. This is the finish line of our series, but it's a discussion about the finish line of marriage. What are we aiming for with our marriage? What is our end game? I think different people have different expectations about what that might look like. Right? Some people, it's, it's hey, I want to I wanna have a certain type of marriage. I want lifelong romance. That Disney stuff, give it to me now and give it to me forever. Or maybe it's, you know, I want a certain home or a certain number of kids. Maybe it's I want a certain um, family in the future. You know, there's, there's all kinds of different things that motivate us. For some of you, maybe you're, you're looking forward to a certain milestone anniversary. You know, you want to hit... 25, or you want to hit 50, or you want to hit 75. Anyone plan to hit 75? Okay, a few of you, awesome, excellent. Anyone going for 100? Maybe not, okay. So maybe it's a milestone anniversary. I don't know, right? I don't know for you, and maybe you don't even know how to express it, but there's probably an expectation in your mind, your end game, your finish line. And listen, even if you're not married Maybe you were, or, and you're not now, or you're, you're single. Well, there's a similar question for you, right? What is your finish line? What's your end game? What are you aiming for? Is it a certain family? Is it a, is it a comfortable retirement? What is the finish line of our lives and our relationships? Today, we're going to get a little bit of an answer to that, a little bit of direction to that, through a story. And it's a true story. It's set thousands of years ago. And I'm going to kind of just share this story with you and invite you to sit back, listen, and learn, and glean from the life of someone else who had to grapple with the same question. What was his finish line? What was his end game? All right, his name was Joshua. And if you ask Joshua about the story of his life and his family, he'd probably quickly answer, it's complicated. You ever been there? It's complicated. He grew up knowing that he was part of God's special chosen people. It was just really hard as a kid to believe that because his people were living as slaves, forced slaves, not in their homeland but in a foreign land, and they had been there for generations. And so his parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, his friends, his neighbors, they knew nothing other than back-breaking labor and slavery. Life was really hard. They had been welcomed as a family to Egypt 400 years prior during the Great Famine. Everyone remembered that Great Famine that they learned about in history. 
And his, his ancestor, Joseph's ancestor, or Joshua's ancestor, Jacob, who was the grandson of Abraham, just to give you a little historical context, he was gifted land and a good life by the Pharaoh, by the king of Egypt. And it was Pharaoh's appreciation for Jacob's son Joseph's leadership in helping the nation and the surrounding nations survive the, the famine and the drought. And, and the king of Egypt, as time progressed, he had given land, he had given a good life to Joseph's family. But as time progressed, Joseph's family grew, and they grew quickly. They, they multiplied, and they prospered. And native Egyptians felt pretty threatened by the exploding population of these foreigners. And eventually, these foreigners, who were called Jews, went from being invited guests in Egypt to slaves who were forced, who were subjugated to a life of hard labor. And young Joshua could look around him and see the public works projects of the nation he was living in. They were everywhere. And these great public works projects that were dreamed up by the kings, by the pharaohs of Egypt, were all made possible by his family, by the slave labor of his people. And so, kind of generation after generation after generation of his family had suffered under the cruel grip of the pharaoh, the king. And for hundreds of years, they had been crying out to their deliverer, God. They had been asking him to send a deliverer to them. And for generations, it seems like their prayers have fallen on deaf ears. And certainly Joshua would have been trained at a young age to be praying that same prayer. Pray that God sends us a deliverer, someone to free us from the tyranny of this government, someone to free us from the isolation of living in a land not ours, no longer being welcomed. We feel like strangers and foreigners here. And finally one day, finally one day, do you ever, do you ever have a prayer that you've prayed for for years and it suddenly seems like the answer comes? It's like finally. And that day finally happened for Joshua and his family. Finally, a deliverer arrived. Now he was one of their own, he was providentially raised, not among them, but he was raised in the king's own palace, raised by the princess herself. It's a remarkable story. At 40 years old, he went out to look at his people, the Jewish people, and realized that they were being treated very harshly. And in a fit of rage, a fit of anger, he saw an Egyptian slave master beating one of his own countrymen, and he snapped. And when he snapped, he murdered that slave master. He fled to the backside of the wilderness, and for 40 years, he herded sheep. Until one day, nearby him, a bush caught fire but wouldn't burn. And from the bush came a voice, and the voice called him to go back to his people and to be their deliverer. And so he did, and young Joshua heard about these intense negotiations between the the adopted son of the princess, the adopted grandson of the pharaoh who was exiled but has returned 40 years later. And there's these intense negotiations between him and the king for the freedom of his people. And the negotiations, if you know the story, they don't go that well. Things get worse before they get better. 
And so Joshua was a kid, as he, he, was, he, was, he was a young man now, and, and he's watching these epic plagues, 10 of them hit the land of Egypt and hit the Egyptians. But as he watches, he notices that these plagues spare his people and his family. And finally, he marvels as they get emancipated from their slavery. And next thing he knows, his family, they're all packing their belongings and they're hitting the road. And as they hit the road, there's this caravan that stretches for miles around because there's over two million now of his extended family and people. And they, and they head north out of the land of Egypt towards the promised land of Canaan. But on their journey north, they suddenly hear something behind them. And it was not a farewell party. It was the, the, the footsteps of the mightiest army in the world, the Egyptian army. They were pursuing their former slaves. They wanted them back. It was kind of a bait and switch. And they got backed up against the Red Sea and the attacking army is behind them with chariots. I mean, they have no recourse. They have no defense. And suddenly... The Red Sea, the, the sea between them and their freedom happens to, to grow a path <laughs> of dry ground, right? And, and the waters part, and they, they safely cross. And it seems all awesome until the Egyptian army realized they can cross on the same path. And so they cross the other side, and the Egyptian army is right behind them. And as soon as the last family member of, of our friend here, Joshua, steps onto the other side. The, the walls of water collapse, and the mighty army of Egypt goes to a shallow, <laughs> it quickly becomes deep, watery grave. Joshua's people, they march on, and, and they arrive at the edge of the promised land, and they're very excited to begin a new life. And so they, they select, before they go into their new land, their new home that God promised them, they select 12 young men to go as scouts or spies. And in the process of selection, somehow, one of the, one of the short straws was Joshua. He was selected. And for the next 40 days, he goes and he scouts out this promised land. He's a spy, and he gets to see what the other spies see, that this land is a good and a bountiful and a beautiful land, even beyond their expectations. It's what God had promised them. And so he comes back, and his report matches the other 11 spies. It's a really good land. But there's a big problem, and they all see the big problem, and it's this. The land is occupied, and it's occupied by giants, and the giants live in walled cities. Sounds like a great combination, doesn't it? This group of former slaves, two plus million former slaves, they're no match for these walled cities with giants. And so the people respond in just deep mourning. They begin weeping and crying. They, they feel like their emancipation was just a cruel joke. They reached what they thought was the finish line, and it turned into a dead end. And, and as, they, as they mourn and, and they consider returning to Egypt, there's two young men amongst millions, two young men amongst 
the 12 spies who speak up. And it's a guy named Caleb and another guy named Joshua. And they just start imploring the people to go into the land and trust God for the outcome. And they, and they compel them. You know, the God who gave us victory, who released us from our slavery, will surely give us victory now. The God who parted a sea for us will surely part walls and giants for us. He promised us the land, and he'll deliver it to us. But the people ignore them. They believe the negative report of the other ten spies, and they refuse to obey God. And so the punishment, punishment's kind of swift and severe. God says, fine, you won't go into the land, you won't get the land. For the next 40 years, one year for every day that your scouts wandered the land, you're going to wander the wilderness, and you will not go in. But your kids, 40 years from now, will be back at this spot, and they will get to go in. And there'll be two exceptions to this consequence. There will be two men and their families that I will allow to go into this land. And their names are Caleb and Joshua. And so 40 years later, these two faith-filled spies, their families, and then all of their nieces and their nephews and their grandkids and extended family, they're back at the edge of the promised land 40 years later. And they're faced with the same task they had 40 years before. There's giants and there's walled cities. And, and the oldest members of their people are now these two older men, elderly men, mature men, Joshua and Caleb. And they're once again tasked with this incredible military decision. How do we, former slaves with no concept of military dominance, how do we go against these walled cities and these giants and these fierce people? And then on top of it, their deliverer, Moses, the princess of the Pharaoh, he dies. It's time to select a new leader. And guess who they guess who's selected as their new leader? Joshua becomes their general. With no military experience under his belt, he courageously leads the troops into impossible battles. And they win over and over and over. And God gives them these miraculous victories and the Old Testament is littered with their stories of these victories that never should have happened, but they happened under the leadership of this courageous elderly man, former slave named Joshua. And as they take the land and they take over these cities, they get to move into homes that they didn't build. They get to take over farms that they didn't plant. They get to eat from trees that they didn't prune. Sounds like a great life. And after all these victories, the people believe that they've reached the finish line. They've arrived. And Joshua thinks quite different. Now he's a very elderly man, but he stands up and he gives the speech that he's most remembered for. A speech that since that day no one has forgotten. And I want you to turn in your copy of Scripture to read part of that speech with me. It's in Joshua, believe it or not, a book named after him, Joshua chapter 24. And I want you to read some of his own words 
If you want to use a chair Bible, you can. It's page 199. If you'd like to take that Bible home with you, please do. It's our gift to you. Joshua 24. And I want us together to see what this last speech of Joshua says. Chapter 24, verse 1. Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel, all of the people, all of his family members, to Shechem, including their elders, leaders, judges, and officers. He wants them all there to hear what he's about to say. So they came and presented themselves to God. Then Joshua said to the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. And then he proceeds to give them a history lesson, first person from the mouth of God. He's saying, here's what God wants me to tell you, and he gives them this history lesson. I want you to know where you came from. And then if you jump down to verse 11, he's still giving them the history lesson from God. When you crossed the Jordan River and came to Jericho, the men of Jericho fought against you. This was one of those impossible battles that God miraculously allowed them to win. And it didn't happen just against those in Jericho. It happened, it says, as did the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all the ites. But I gave you what over them? Victory. He's recounting the history And I sent terror, this is from the voice of God, I sent terror, God did, ahead of you to drive out the two kings of the Amorites. It was not your swords or bows that brought you victory. I gave you land you had not worked on, and I gave you towns you did not not build. The towns where you are now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. (laughs) Everyone's excited to live in this land, God's reminding them that it was he who gave them this land and these homes and these farms. And everyone's just kind of excited. Thanks, Joshua. We get it. We know it. We realize it. We've lived it. We're now excited to just go enjoy this promised land, our finish line. And Joshua's just got a very different view of the finish line than his people. And he wants his people to know they haven't arrived. And so he says this in verse 14. He switches from what God says to what he says. He says, so fear the Lord and serve him whole, what's it say next? Heartedly. Serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates River? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you now live, the gods you just defeated and showed are worthless? But as for me and my family, say it with me, we will serve the Lord. And in this moment, Joshua puts his stake in the ground. He draws the proverbial line in the sand. And he says, listen, people, no matter what you decide, no matter what my extended family decides, no matter what our people and culture and nation decide, me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. 
We will serve the Lord. We will not sit back and coast. This is not our finish line. This is our starting point. Now, cool story. But maybe you're scratching your head and saying, Justin, what on earth does this have to do with marriage? So let's talk about that for a couple minutes. Because this is marriage in light of eternity. When, when a couple loves each other and decide to make it official, a guy typically drops to one knee and gives her a, a diamond, a ring, an engagement ring. And, and really that engagement ring, it's a down payment on a wedding ring. The down payment on a wedding. And from that point on, their attention is pointed towards and building towards the big day. And that's often what people will call it, right? The big day. The big day. And often, many couples who are preparing for that big day, they have a countdown. I know back when we got married, Annie and I, there was something called the not.com, and there was a countdown. Now a lot of couples have it on an app, and they're counting down the days. Maybe some of you back in your day, it was a paper chain, and you tore off a piece of paper every day. Right? That was old school technology, paper. But I, I, I don't know for you what it was, but for, for many who are married, there's this anticipation and build up and countdown towards the, the big day. The big day. And, and the wedding is seen as a finish line of sorts. It's the climax of months and sometimes years of dating and romance and planning and dreaming. And at the end of a reception and wedding day, the, the new couple, they ride off into the sunset, sometimes with rusty cans tied to their bumper. But what's next? Is it just about having a home, two cars, a dog, a few kids, and someday a nice retirement? Or, or is there more to marriage than that? You know, what if what we learned a few weeks ago is, is, is true? What if marriage is not a finish line, a destination? What if it's more like an incubator to make us more like Jesus? What if my wedding day wasn't somehow this promised land climax to my life? What if it's just a starting point so that now I can invest the rest of my life to build a home and a family that follows Jesus Christ. What if Joshua's speech that day, that courageous speech where he told his people, choose who you serve, but as for me and my family, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. What if that speech is the speech I should be giving? You know, I, I'm convinced that our nation right now is desperately in need of some Joshua's. We live in a culture groaning under the weight of broken marriages and dysfunctional families. I think it's time for God's kids to rise up. To say my life is not about me. My marriage is not about my happiness. My family's not about my dreams. My life and my family and my marriage is all about him. And I want to bring him glory. And I want my spouse and I want my family to follow him. I shouldn't have time to fight with my spouse and kids. I should be too busy following Jesus. 
you know, we're, we're living through an epidemic right now of meaningless existence. We live in a culture that most people believe that they're evolved animals living on a planet that exists by chance because of an explosion billions of years ago. There's not much meaning in that, is there? But when you realize the truth that this planet was designed on purpose by a creator, and you and I are not here by accident, but we're literally knit together in our mother's wombs on purpose. There's a plan for our lives. And our lives are not meant to be about ourselves. We are stamped with the very image of God. And it's time I start living for him. It's time I orient my life for him. And it's only when I begin doing that, it's only when I begin living for him that I really start living. My friends, our life, our marriage, our relationships, our family, they were never meant to be about us. And the more we try to squeeze meaning and significance and pleasure out of our relationships, I think the more frustrated and even the more isolated we'll all become. But the moment we realize what Joshua realized, that we are not near the finish line, we're at a divine starting line. Our life becomes flooded with new hope and new meaning. See, I think it's time for some more husbands and dads to rise up and say, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I think it's time for more wives and moms to rise up and say, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I think it's time for more kids and more grandkids to rise up and say, as for me and my family, as much as is in my control and influence, we will serve the Lord. I wonder if it's time we just step forward and we draw a line in the sand. If we stop being so focused on me, on us, and we start to focus on him. Your marriage is not a finish line. It is a shadow of something so much better that's to come. It is a shadow of a relationship with Jesus and listen, if you have complaints about your spouse, I gotta tell you, it gets better. Because someday Jesus, the ultimate partner, who is the most loyal, the most kind, the most caring, the most fun being in the entire universe, someday you get to live your forever with him. And so now, in the here and now, I get to point myself, my family, and my home to him. Because here's the reality, the finish line, the end game. It's not a moment in time. It's not even a point of time in my life. The finish line is spelled J-E-S-U-S. -S. My friends, Jesus is my finish line. And when I recalibrate my soul to be all about him, when I reorient my marriage and my family and direct us to him. I am finally headed towards the right finish line and not a dead end. All other finish lines disappoint. All other objectives will let you down. 
The wealthiest man in the world years ago was asked a question, how much is enough? And his response was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. That is the tragedy of pursuing anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ. It or they will let you down. It or they cannot satisfy. Joshua pointed his family and his life to God. And he said no matter what anyone around him did, he would serve the Lord. No matter what any other family in his nation did, his family would serve the Lord. And in a godless nation and a chaotic, meaningless culture, I wonder if it's time for us as God's kids to begin to echo Joshua. I know not the path my nation may take, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, in a society where we've become slaves to our screens, we spend more time on our devices than we do with one another, and we wonder what's gone wrong. And like the wandering generation of the free Jewish slaves that we just read about, we're free, and yet we're wandering in the slavery of our soul. We live in a wilderness of our own making. We live in a culture where marriage is cheap and family is mocked. And yet, among us are Joshua's and Caleb's. Among us are people who intend to do things differently. People who refuse to go with the flow of our culture. People who will not bend their knee at the altar of materialism and make life all about how much they can accumulate. People who won't pursue a life of pleasure. There are people among us who have chosen to follow Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They have chosen to reject the pressure of their peers. They have chosen to walk on a path of purity. And they stand strong even when it means standing alone. And my friends, our generation is desperate for more Joshua's and more Caleb's. Young people, middle-aged people, and mature people of great faith are needed, and they're needed now. <laughs> people who know that their purpose, their end game is not to pursue their own desires and dreams, but to pursue and follow God and to guide and influence their family to do the same thing. Thousands of years ago, two young men had that mindset. And 40 years later, they're on the edge of the promised land leading their families in. And I wonder, will you have that kind of faith? The kind of faith of Joshua Someday will you be able to lead your family into the eternal promised land? I know not what path you may choose. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'd like you to do me a favor and just bow with me this morning. Our, our music teams are going to come forward at all our campuses to close our time in a, in a song, but I want to have a moment of response, a moment of invitation today. T today's not meant to be just a story. 
that sounds good or, or feels good. Today's not meant to be a motivational speech. It's meant more than anything to be a gut check. That's what it is for me. Let me ask you, are you leading your family towards Jesus? Is, is your finish line spelled J-E-S-U-S? And we're living during such a challenging season of life right now. I, I get it. We're all going through the same junk. And I, and I think the tendency is we want to coast, we want to ride it out, maybe we even want to isolate, but God's people don't have the luxury of doing that. Because we're not in the promised land yet. We haven't arrived. The finish line is Jesus. And our lives and our marriages and our families and our homes, they're not about us. They're not about our comfort or our stability or our safety. They're meant to be all about Jesus. And life begins when you begin pursuing Jesus. When you orient your life and your heart and your soul towards the true finish line, that's when life really begins. And that's why Joshua was trying to compel his nation and compel his people. You haven't arrived. It's not now about coasting into comfort and enjoying the blessings of God. It is about following God wholeheartedly, being devoted to him. And it's why he said with such strength of conviction, I know not what you may do, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Boy, our nation today is so in need of people with conviction about something that matters. So in need of conviction about something that's eternal. We get so bogged down in the things of this world and the things that don't really matter for eternity. And from history, Joshua's speech is resonating. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. So I want to ask right now, Are you ready to draw a line in the sand? Are you ready to maybe say, look, I, I need to recalibrate my soul. I need, to, I need to reorient my home, my family, my marriage, my friendships, my work environment. I need to reorient, recalibrate anything within my influence to begin to point towards Jesus. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. I'm going to ask you to kind of physically draw a line in the sand by doing something that we don't normally do around here, but I'm just gonna ask you, if that's you, if that's your commitment, would you just stand to your feet and say, today, as much as it depends on me, me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Listen, if that's your heart, I, don't worry about the people around you. This is not a show. This is a, this is a moment in time. This is a stake in the ground saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it doesn't matter what age you are. I, I don't care if you're a kid. I don't care if you're a, a, a grandparent or anywhere in between. If that's your heart this morning at all of our campuses, would, would you just stand to your feet as a commitment before God that your heart is in this thing?
that your heart is in this thing. Maybe you're even watching us online, and, and I would invite you to. Would, would you stand wherever you are, unless you're driving? Please don't then. And would you maybe just stand and declare, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Father, thousands of years ago, on the edge of the promised land, there were two young men who stood up. And they made that commitment. And they one day got to lead their families into the promised land. And then they got to lead their nation to follow hard after you. God, help us to be the Joshuas and Calebs that our generation desperately needs today. Help us to point people back to God. Forgive us for being so weighed down with the cares of this world that we forget the finish line that we forget the end game, that we forget it's all about you. Forgive us for the time we waste in selfish pursuits. Forgive us for the time we waste in arguing with each other about things that have no eternal consequence. God, get us back on track in our own hearts and in our own homes. We know that ultimately at the end of the day, change doesn't start at the White House. Change starts at our house. God, may we have homes in this community that are fully committed to you because Joshua's and Caleb's of our generation are finally rising up and saying enough's enough. I care not what others may do, but as for me, as for my house, we will serve the Lord. God, you see us this morning. You see our hearts. You see our desire. May this not, may this not be just a moment in time. May it not be an end in itself. May it not just be a moment of emotion, but may it be a, a commitment to follow hard after you with all of our hearts, no matter what life may throw at us. No matter how functional or dysfunctional our marriage or family may be, may we, as much as is in our power, point them to you. May we pray over them on a regular basis. May we be found on our knees, crying out for our marriage, crying out for our family, crying out for our friends and our extended family. May we be people of faith. Forgive us for the time we waste doing anything else. Father, teach us what it means to run to you, to run to you as the ultimate finish line. As the opening video said, some people talk, but I run. Help us to stop talking and help us to start running straight to you. Would everybody please stand, everybody at all of our campuses. We're going to close in a song right now after I pray. Father, this song that we're going to sing, run, run to the Father. May it be our hearts cry this morning. Help us to follow hard after you. Help us to be the Joshua's and Caleb's of our generation and point people to the true finish line, Jesus Christ. And it's in his powerful name God's people prayed and they said,